It's the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for joining us. This edition is sponsored by the Smart ETF's Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hey, good morning again, Fred. Good morning, and we are very happy to have with us Anuj Pradhan from the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Thanks for being here with us, Anuj. Sure thing, Fred. Nice to be here. You're an assistant professor of mechanical and industrial engineering and co-director of the Human Performance Laboratory. Love that title. Fill our audience in on the work that you're doing. Um, sure thing. Yes, our... Uh... Our work revolves around trying to understand the human in a system broadly. So in our context, we want to understand the human driver in the driving context, in the driving system. Uh, we want to understand what driver behaviors are that contribute potentially to crashes, uh, how we can help mitigate those. And we've been doing that for a while with, you know, uh, with our driver definition being all, all kinds of drivers with a focus on maybe teen drivers and older drivers. But lately, we've also thought about expanding our definition of driver a little bit to sort of include operator rather than driver. Given the advent of automated systems in vehicles, whether they are lower levels of automa uh, vehicle automation or higher levels of vehicle automation, where the driver starts relegating their authority and their responsibility to the system, and therefore, they're less of a driver and more of an operator. Um, so our, our current focus is looking at the human in the driverless car, or the driver in the driverless car, I guess, um, trying to see what the impact of uh, vehicle automation is on drivers, on human drivers from a human factors perspective, less from a technological standpoint, but more from a human factors standpoint, that would be uh, behavioral, uh, uh, cognitive, um, maybe even from a social perspective, what are the impact of all of uh, automation on drivers? Oh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, are you looking at uh, the way people behave and relying on some of the new safety systems that we're finding in, in vehicles, the lean keeping and the automatic emergency braking, that kind of thing? Very much so. Uh, that is actually one of the focus of our uh, studies uh, currently ongoing. Uh, we want to know, uh, we, we recognize the safety benefits, the promised safety benefits of these systems. Uh, there are data out there that tells us that, you know, there are crash reductions because of, uh, because of the automatic emergency braking systems or, you know, uh, collision warnings. But we also have to understand uh, how humans react to these um, from something potentially as simple as, you know, how much of a warning is too much of a warning? Do we want to think about nagging, uh, warnings being nagging so that so much so that uh, use, uh, uh, drivers turn them off? So that's something that we think about. Or we also think about over-reliance on these systems, whether drivers adapt to the technology in the vehicle so that their behavior then changes. This behavioral adaptation could have negative effects. Now, and and uh, uh, an easy example would be if you have a modern car that has a blind spot warning system that 
gives you a little light on your side view mirror if there's somebody in your, uh, if, if you're changing lanes and if there's somebody in your blind spot. Um, what drivers may tend to start doing is relying on that light and stop looking over the shoulder like you're supposed to, like it's safe to do so. And that sort of negative, that sort of behavioral adaptation could have negative impacts. Say, for example, if your sensor breaks down in your car and your blind spot warning no longer works, or hey, you're at the airport, you have a rental car that does not have the system and you have lost your habit of looking, the good habit of looking over the shoulder, right? So this intersection of technology and human behavior is something that really interests us in a sense of how humans could potentially change as a result of interfacing with these technologies. So is it a matter of trying, needing to educate people better on, on how systems, these safety systems uh, can and should be used? Um, I think education is a very important part of it. Um, I, I am a believer, we, we are doing research on trying to figure out how we can best design training best design the content and delivery of training that will help drivers gain the appropriate information about the systems and about the limitations of the system. So I think training is a big part of it. Um, however, as important or potentially even more important is the design of these systems right at, you know, right, right, right on the uh, on, on the drawing board, design of the systems with the human in mind, right? So that's where human factors engineering, human factors design comes into play. It is very important, I think, to take into account human capabilities, human fallibilities, and uh, you know all, all, all of all of the uh, all of the mess that human drivers are when we are designing these systems that are really you know designed to help us in terms of convenience and safety so we have to be designing for let's let's say we, we have to be designing for your 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 worst driver on the street uh, you know I, of course i'm not a human factors guy although you know i, I certainly I, hopefully i appreciate it and 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 in fact uh, for many years, I, we te uh, team taught a course at Princeton called Human Machine Interactions, and five of us, a uh, couple, couple pro uh, full professors from from engineering, a couple from psychology, and and one from from uh, philosophy, and we dealt sort of through the range of the human machine interaction problem. I, you know, some of the sort of tenets that we we kind of the obvious tenets was that, um, or at least tenets that I every once in a while bring out in class is, is I, computers should be working for us. I should not be working for a computer. Okay, now, of course, I have to type or I have to somehow signal to the, to the computer, I not call these things computers, you know, some sort of intention. It has to get a signal from me from something, but it shouldn't be making me do things. Or, or, or certainly not that I don't want to do things. Not that I'm, not that I'm trying to not do things. In some sense, I'm trying to not do things. There, there are things that I want to do, and then you know, don't make me do stuff. 
It drives me nuts whenever I see you know some app that makes me do stuff. And in fact, it should have known or, or that, that it should have captured and should have been making me do it again. I mean, it's a fundamental. And I think in the, in the driving thing, I think, you know, in, in a sense, I know it's invasion of privacy and so on and so forth, but, but what, what, to what extent would you like to see these systems evolve to basically, they'd be in some sense smart enough, which doesn't really take that much intelligence to figure out, you know, who it is that's in there, who you're dealing with, what the hell their capabilities are or whatnot. Hell, you, the computer's been, I mean, you, you know, you, after you drive five miles, you've been, at least been in there five minutes. Holy hell, it gained all kinds of information about you. Probably knows more about you than you know about yourself or could. I mean, certainly, you know, it seems to me Facebook does it, you know, just for the hell of it to sell me crap, okay? <laughs> I, I, how, do, how do we really make these things so that in fact, you know, it's not, it's not training us. It's probably, except for maybe, you know, maybe if we get into this whole thing about whether or not it's human error versus, versus, um, versus misbehavior that leads to crashes and just the change in the concept of, hey, it's not just a random process that we have to sit, sit there and remain vigilant and be able to take over. And, and mitigate the situation on instant notice. Holy hell, it's an evolution of me getting more pissed off, more, I mean, excuse me, I don't think I gotta use the right word, but they're done all of a sudden, you know, doing something misbehaving or, you know, it should be able to smell my breath. It should be able to know whether or not I had too much to drink. Okay. Is that an invasion? Talk to me about these things. Yeah, no, no. no I mean, I, or maybe that's, you've done it all and I just haven't caught up to where you are. No, absolutely, Alan. I think, uh, well, for one, let's not have Facebook get in interface with our cars. I think that would be, you know, going down a completely different path. So, uh, but, you know, I, I say that because of the privacy aspects of Facebook. Um, however, you have hit, the nail right on the head, Alan, with this with, with this particular train of thought about knowing what the human is doing. So right now, driving is a human in the loop process. Right. The human is absolutely an absolutely integral, in the loop. Right. It's right. an integral part of the process. King, you right. know. And it, and it all of the <laughs> and and all of the technological um, uh, additions to driving right now are to do more with the vehicle, maybe with the environment, less with the human, right? And uh, what I mean by less with the human is it is sensing the human. It is not sensing the human as much as it can or as it should. There are a few. Right, because look at the stuff we put out there. I mean, I just, in the newsletter, there's about this new Chinese version of a, of a Tesla that is, is creating who knows gigabits of data per nanosecond, but to do with 18 cameras and LIDARs and BIDARs and ZBIDARs and WUDARs. Probably nothing focused on the person behind the wheel. <laughs> All right. Oh, are you kidding? How, how do you miss the boat that badly? All right. Um, so um, I, I think there are some <laughs> systems that are doing this well. So uh, uh, the Super Cruise, if, if, it's yeah, a, uh, if it's okay for me to use, you know, uh, brand names here, they sure, have yeah. they have uh, 
they have the most elegant system in place right now for looking at the driver and incorporating that driver's current state into what the automation is doing. And I think that is the way things should be going. Incorporating the driver into the loop, into all of the algorithms, into all of the decisions that the automation and the technology and the algorithms make is critical. But it does mean that you have to know what the driver is up to. And we have the sensors to be able to do that. You're right. You know, the lighters and the biters, they can actually point it inside. And who knows, they may be doing so, but not using the information enough. I think technology has progressed well enough. I think we have some really, really smart um, uh, programmers and coders and you know engineers who can actually factor in the human into all of the decision that is made by the uh, by the automation algorithms. I just don't think we have gone far enough down that road. But I think it is absolutely critical. Even if it's you know if we take a simple. Um, but simple, but, uh, you know, a, a long lasting problem of distraction. The best way to tackle distraction is by knowing if the driver is distracted or not. And right now it is, yeah. I, I don't want to say easy, but I'll say easy. It is easy to do that. You can point cameras at the driver and have very sophisticated algorithms, figure out whether the driver is looking at the road or not, whether the driver's mind is wandering, whether they're dozing off. And like you said, whether they've had one drink too many. Uh, and all of these can actually be incorporated into the system. And, you know, that's at the micro level. That's at the, you know, at, at the second per second or, you know, like you said, millisecond per millisecond level. But even broader at a macro level, the systems are capable of knowing what the driver, who the driver is in terms of capability, right? So is this a, a really good driver with, you know, uh, so many insurance points or is it a teen driver with, you know, in his or her fifth hour behind the wheel, the driver, the vehicle should be capable of knowing that and then accordingly intervene as necessary. And that may be the simplest way to take care of all those nags, right? Like you talked about these warnings. Sure. If you get a warning, that's not necessary. That's a nag and people are going to turn it off. But a warning may be necessary in the exact same situation for driver A, who's a novice, and may not be necessary for the exact same situation for driver B, who's an expert, and we sort of know that he doesn't need the warning. Yeah, well, I, I'd even take it, I'd even take it not just between the, the novice and the expert, because I think you know everybody's a damn good driver. And I, I, I without proof, I just put it on misbehavior. I just put it on people just deciding to not pay attention and drift across across a double line. Okay, and in fact, if you drift across a double line and there's nobody coming the other way, then who cares? You know, whatever. Maybe a gentle reminder. Hey, yo, you sure you know what you're doing? And, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, I want to, I want to drive down the middle of the road at night on the two-lane road so that I have equal chance of being able to see the deer, whether they're coming at me from the right or from the left. Okay because I've hit too many of those damn things that jump out in front of me and I don't want to do that anymore. So if there's nobody coming the other way, I drive down the middle of the road. Okay, damn it. Uh, I don't want to explain that to the system. Okay, it should realize that. Now, if there's a truck coming down the other way, man, boom, boom, but it should know that. It should know that. And it should know whether or not I'm, you know, dozing off or my heartbeat is beginning to change or, or, 
um, being more animated or whatever goofy, whatever signal. I, isn't, don't people send signals that sort of say that they're about to mis, misbehaving doesn't happen randomly, just in the spur of a moment, whatever. It's sort of, I don't know, doesn't it sort of build up? If it does, you have a leading indicator. Alan, Alan, I was looking at I was looking at an app the other day called Anura, A-N-U-R-A, yeah. that uses the camera on your phone, just using the camera, no other sensor, tells you your blood pressure, tells you your heart rate. So I assume any camera in a vehicle would know that, could know that as well as you were it, saying. Remote sensing, you know, and it, and it knows it knows you. It could have kept data on you. It doesn't have to send it out to every, you know, Google search, whatever, or Facebook, whatever, but it can use it internally to save your butt. I, I, I agree. Your butt needs to be saved. I agree. Otherwise, leave you alone. And with Super you know, Cruise, Super Cruise, uh, one of the news items is that uh, GM is saying they're going to be building that into some of the Chevy Bolts. I mean, I, I saw that and I thought that I think that's absolutely fantastic. You know, I took took them how long? What was it? Uh, you know, 16 when they put it in the CT6 or something. They sold, they built maybe four of them, sold three. I mean, uh, you, you go in a, in a dealer and you'd ask them, hey, I want Super Cruise. Oh, you got to buy CT6. And plus you have to buy the premium of the super premium. Uh, of course, uh, yeah, that's that whatever and all this crap and we don't have any and 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 gm wasn't i guess building them and jamming it down the throat of the of the dealers and so and you holy are they really going to put it in the bowl now that that would be good because really you know, i i agree with alan and you know what what he's saying super cruise is great and it is premium yes it is it is you know the 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 top of the top, it's it's the cuttingest technology. They have this really awesome eye tracking, head tracking technology that's uh, it's it's made by seeing machines from Australia. They, you know, they're the best. Yeah. And you know, they're they're obviously putting it as a premium in a small population of drivers who probably don't even need it. Because if you look at, if you think about it this way, if you're thinking about the Chevy Bolt, right, that would be an entry level vehicle, let's say. Uh, potentially uh, driven by teenagers, potentially driven by younger drivers who may be more risk-taking, who may be more prone to distraction. Um, and, and maybe the technology is best suited for that particular vehicle, vehicle class than, uh, you know, than uh, what it is right now on the CTS and so on. So I think the trickle down of that technology is really great that GM is doing. I'd love to see some sort of driver monitoring system in every vehicle that has advanced technologies. Why, why don't they put it in all of them? In volume, the price goes to whatever, right? I mean, there is some form of Moore's law in there in any of these. Sure, you make three of them, it's gonna cost a hell of a lot of money. You make it, you put it in Chevys, you put it in your best, in your best selling cars. Come on, GM. You know how to do this. You know how to scale. You know how to make stuff that, you know, starting out volume and just a turn and, 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 and getting the price down. Why it's taken them so long. Okay. Yeah. But, but anyway, you know, maybe it, they've seen, maybe Mary Bowers seen the light. Okay. Whatever. She announced this at CES, of course, you know, and maybe there it's, you know, it's sort of a gizmo or whatever, but 
darn it, this is fundamental, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And uh, Super Cruise is indeed uh, impressive and elegant, like I said. Um, also, you know, it, there's a very interesting business model for GM. I'm sure, uh, you know, they've already figured this out. Um, but what I do understand is Super Cruise is a subscription service, like, you know, your satellite radio. So there you go. You plug in Super Cruise into as many bolts as you get, and then you have this unending stream of monthly income from there. So, uh, you know, that from a revenue stand standpoint, I, I think that's, that's something interesting that they're doing. Um, but really getting it down to the masses, I think is what's important, the driver state monitoring. Because again, from a human factors perspective, like we discussed, knowing what the driver is doing is a large part of the battle. So Fred, like you were saying, if there's an app, which you know there are, cameras are not only capable of looking visually of what you're doing, it can sense temperature changes, it can sense perspiration, it can, you know, it, it can sense even your heart rate variability right now with just a, a, a remote camera. And these are all indications of potentially, you know, what your level of engagement is. There's a ton of research being done in this field, but Alan, like you said, we should be able to predict if somebody's going to misbehave, right? Yeah. I think I, there is think, potential for yeah. that. Right? Yeah. And I think, you know, you don't need a long time. You don't need five minutes. You know, these things, you put a pro, you know, processor, the damn things. Are, I mean, it's amazing how you know, fast the damn things are these days. And they're going to get nothing but faster in the software to do it. You don't need mm -hmm. much of an advance. Right. In some situations, you know, in which everything's sort of okay, you sort of say, yeah, it's okay. But in situation in which, boy, you know, hey, look, you're tailgating the damn person. Damn it, back off. Okay, now, sure, if the driver wants to, yeah, go press on the gas and just jam it up and whatever, and you're probably never going to, I mean, you know, you're, I don't know. Then it's going to take regulations and everything and whatever, beating people over the head and so on or, but, but I guess the other thing that I sort of like, I think is what the, what the, Cadillac system does that if you know if you don't if you don't if it's if you don't pay attention I, I think the thing just pulls over and turns off and then right you, you cannot says, you need a note from your mother you know before <laughs> we're going to turn it on again okay yeah and uh, I, yeah, I think that... I think you know I mean hey whatever whatever you should know enough about the person as to what's going to put them in in sufficient embarrassing position that, that that they'll say oh I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm sorry I didn't mean to do that I won't do it again you know don't hit me with right. a ruler on my wrist or, or something or give me a paddle or Captain of yeah. Or... <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, you know, so, so these algorithms that are being used right now, very clever uh, to look externally, um, you know, to sort of predict other vehicles' movements and behaviors, and you know, uh, navigation and localization, all of that. Um, very clever, very, very cutting-edge algorithms. Machine learning uh, is being used. All of those could now be, and they probably are, being pointed inwards as well, so that now you know what the driver is who the driver is, what the driver is, you know, not what the driver is thinking, but, you know, what the driver's states are, physical, physiological states are, and that can all be used in concert with, you know, maybe the age of the vehicle, the time of day, the weather you have right now, the, the congestion, the, the, the uh, you know, the location you're at. I mean, like, uh, uh, Alan, like you said, if you're in a rural highway, you know, in the late evening on a weekday where there's, you know, zero possibility of traffic, then 
they shouldn't be bugging you about being away a uh, little off center from your lane. But if you are on a congested highway with, you know, uh, uh, high speed and they know that you're coming back after a long days of work, so you might be fatigued. Yes. You know, you might want to. Uh, context is important. Absolutely. Context. The context that's it. is important. It's not just the getting of the data. It's establishment of the context of the human machine uh, situation that exists there characterizing that as best as possible and then doing the right thing i mean yeah um, yeah. <laughs> yeah no i i absolutely agree i think the context is critical and in that context they should they should roll in the human again that's i think we you know we've come full circle back to the human the the human is in the loop will remain in the loop until the system is capable of operating automatically 100% of the time, right? So or until then- But nothing's 100% of the right, time. Right, exactly, okay. yeah, right. 99 point, you know, I mean- I'm, So, yes. so okay. if, if there is even the slightest chance that a human is gonna be involved, then the human will need to be sensed and factored in, yeah. in, in into whatever the context of that algorithm and all the decision-making is going on. That's why I think it's really important to understand humans, because like you said, Alan, you you said you you termed it misbehaving. I, I agree. I think it's a general catch-all term. Uh, I think misbehaving can be further uh, broken down into intentional versus unintentional, right? I mean, somebody could be intentionally, um, you know, tapping away on their phone or had that extra drink or unintentional could be because of fatigue, medical issues, emergency, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. you know, uh, sort of uh, um, mind wandering. Um, there, there are also issues about, uh, again, experience and age, which will, which will drive what a, how a human's reactions are. And all of these should actually be taken into consideration when we're talking about misbehaving. So um, uh, yes, I, I think misbehaving means veering out of the definitions of an engaged good driver. I think that is what would misbehaving be. But the engaged good driver does not exist. And, and well, let me, let me re rephrase this. A good constantly engaged driver does not exist 100% of the time, however good you are, right? Consumers might have a question about this technology, really for both of you, and I, I guess short answer here if we can but what happens when there's a, a conflict how does it get resolved i'm i'm the driver the car says you need to do this and i say no i don't want to do that who who wins <laughs> i guess that's a the key question for for a lot of people well to, to me i think the key wins is you're the you you win i i think we have to we have to give it to the person you know i think we have to give it to the person we have to. Well, I think we have to assume that the person, and um, the they're the they're the ones that have to buy the insurance. They're the ones that are going to be held accountable. They're the ones that are going to go to jail if something bad happens. Okay, and so I think I I don't I just don't think that that a I don't think that a it, when push comes to shove on that one for the technology to accept the liability, which if you're going to be put in control, then you have to 
have the responsibility. And if you're going to be put in that responsible position, then, then the, the, the entity that does the technology is going to demand something out of that. And probably the thing I think and what I argue that they're going to demand is that the, is that the human get the hell out of the loop. Okay, if I'm gonna be, if I'm gonna be held up responsible, I'm gonna make the calls. If you're gonna be held up responsible, you can eventually make the calls. I can try to help, I can try to give advice, I can try to do that, and all the other things. I can slap your wrist a little bit, da, 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 try to correct you and so on subtly. But but in a sense, I think it's all, all as to who we're going to, who's gonna, and to me, that's that's the fundamental difference between the, the more the conventional things that we have now in which we have the human in the loop to the non to the other ones driverless i can't go up to a united aircraft pilot as i'm flying on united to lax and say hey yo you know hit it a little bit let's get going a little faster you know okay i mean they'll arrest me okay they'll say hey you crazy they'll put me in a you know jacket whatever all right and and appropriately so you know and, it, and sure, I can be, as I say, in, in the New York City subway system, break the glass and pull the red handle. Okay, but they're, 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 they're better be, you know, I better be doing that for darn good reason. Otherwise, you know, take me to jail. Okay, you yeah. know, I, I don't know, talk, talk to me, uh, you know, from a human factor standpoint. And, sure, no, yeah. I... I, I, I agree with uh, Alan 100%. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd qualify that a little bit by saying that, um, you know, in terms of responsibility, I think also it has to be demarcated very clearly who is responsible for what in the technology itself, right? So yeah. that because, because the driver, the, the, the poor guy behind the wheel, normally is your average Joe who does not want to know anything about your algorithms, about your technology, about your radar range and your LIDAR resolution and all of that, that. right? So, yeah. so we have to clarify very, you know, we have to clarify very clearly, I guess. Um, um, what does the driver, what, what is the driver responsible for? What is the system responsible for? And that's not easy. Right. Uh, one example here is um, uh, one approach that can be taken is something like ABS, um, where the driver really is not responsible for it anymore. The system can do it better. The anti-skid braking system, the driver, the system can pump the brakes rapidly, way better than a human ever could. And that's what is being done now. And that responsibility has been completely taken away from the driver. Yeah. And the driver knows it now. Similarly, things like this has to electronic be stability system. controls the like same ESC, thing. It's even it's even one that's I mean it it just it's a, it doesn't say oh Alan you're going around the turn too fast why don't you you know twiddle the gas and the brake and so on to keep you from you losing your rear end it doesn't go through that it says boom does it for me and I realized man sweat's coming down oh, thank you <laughs> yeah no and and even even so so you know. Thinking along those lines, with, with the consumer systems that are in our cars available for us to buy nowadays, it has to be 100% clear what the system can do, 
but even more important what the system cannot do because that is the rub yeah if that, that gets back to the education point that uh, we we're, were chatting about before that dealerships aren't taking the time to to really educate people who are buying these vehicles really no nobody is so people are you know you read the manual and you know you, le- you learn on the fly which which gets which gets to be dicey because you're, you're learning at 60 miles per hour on public roadways what this button does or what this button doesn't right so so dealerships may or may not be motivated to teach um, manufacturers are motivated but they may not have the right touch points with the consumer to provide that education it, it is a complex system we you know um, let's say the licensing authorities may have the onus of finally deciding whether somebody is ready enough to operate this or not but you know are we going to introduce an endorsement in a license for using uh, advanced technologies i don't think that's going to fly uh, so so yes it is it is a complex issue people should know about it the user the owners manuals do have information about the systems but you know they they're written in legal speak we did a very small study one of my undergrads actually did a a, a an, an analysis of about 10 user manuals uh from i think late model cars and found that even and this is only for adaptive cruise control right which is a pretty old technology it's you know it's used well it's trickling down to all vehicles now but it's an old technology but adaptive cruise control is not perfect it works really well in very limited circumstances and these circumstances have to be known by the driver and what we found was from all from the 10 user manuals it varied widely across manuals how the limitations of the systems were reported there was one manual who listed 36 limitations 36 scenarios or occasions where this uh, adaptive cruise control will not work and there's another manual that lists only 12 now does this mean that manual b has a better adaptive cruise control system no the systems are very comparable because the technology is the same it's just that manufacturer a put in a little bit more effort into laying out all the scenarios where the system will not work and manufacturer b potentially made a decision that they do not want to overwhelm the consumer with this fire hose of information about what it cannot do so they're just giving sort of some general limitations and they're Which, counting on people to read this too i mean so, yeah, that, i mean right. people essentially want to know okay which side is the gas cap on and uh, how to open the hood and that that's well, about I'll, all I'll, they need the manual for i'll, I'll, I'll tell you what people need the manual okay. for people you know our our daily drivers for any new vehicle their number one motivation uh, about technology what they want to learn is how to pair their phone right and and I, and i can see why yes i can see why because that is probably the thing that is going to be used more often than not but the safety features nah not so much does there need to be a standardization of of uh, terminology when it comes to all of these systems oh gosh yes oh gosh yes absolutely yes <laughs> yes yes, yes, yes <laughs> that's a yes. short answer absolutely i mean yes. it is so damn and you know unfortunately you know semantics terminology is used for marketing 
Okay, and probably somebody also has a trademark patent, whatever on it. And holy hell, so therefore you, you know, but yes. No, nobody else can say Super Cruise. They have to call it Tom Cruise or whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Who knows? But hey, I have my pet question. And since I have a human factors guy here, I need an answer. Okay. I am so upset, whatever, not really with my cruise, my intelligent cruise control as to how it operates and why am I so screwed up that I'm upset with it, okay? Because if I use my cruise control, my intelligent cruise control and I hit the gas, you know, then I speed up because I'm the boss. It will over, yeah, as I should, you know, I can show my whatever hood, by hitting the gas, you know I shouldn't. And then, uh, and then if I go off the gas and it's it says okay, uh, let's get back to where we should be, and 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 it operates. If I hit the brake, I stop braking, even though it didn't necessarily want to, or want to that fast. I let off the brake. It doesn't continue to break if it thinks it needs to break. It shuts off. What? <laughs> I love the question. Alex. What? I, I love I, the question. I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, Talk to me. I don't I don't have an answer for that. I think you know that that that's obviously a design uh, decision. Yeah, of course at, it is. I know it at, is at a systems level high up, but but this speaks to the complexity of using the system. The system yeah. is complicated. Of course, it is complex. It's sophisticated. But the complexity of using the system, it is not intuitive. So I couldn't have said it in, I couldn't have said it in a nicer, better way, Alan. Yes, you're hitting the gas. The gas temporarily disengages your ACC. You're hitting the brake. Your brake disengages the ACC. The driver has to know that. The driver will not know that until they have tried it out a couple of times and figured it out. Even if you read the manual, this is not very clearly stated, right? What we've tried to do in, in our research is we take these ACC systems and we completely deconstruct it so that we break it down into just a number of states. So why would you design it that way? Why, why, did, why did the Society of Automotive Engineers ever, ever think that this was a good idea? Except for, you know, the, the stupid cruise control systems that just, you know, did uh, the throttle and didn't do the brake, okay? Then if you hit the brake, uh, that was it. Turn the damn thing off. Why? Because you were turning off the throttle. Of course, I want to turn off the throttle if I hit the brake. I don't want to turn off the brake. Now I have two things that operate, not just one. Yeah. Is it um, really that the stupidity that the these are intelligent people? What in the human factors, human machine interaction piece, or am I just a goofy person? Okay. Um, the, the, and, and you know, I think it is enormously dangerous. Okay. Why? Because when, why, when do I do this? I happen to use my intelligent cruise control in route one. 
Route One has a billion traffic lights. Okay, and if I'm like you know behind somebody that's moving, it's like really great. If you know way out in the, in the head, there's a there's there's a bunch of stop traffic at a traffic light. You know, I'd like to approach it a little bit slower than my intelligent cruise control likes to do it. So I tap the brake and I cool it a little bit. Okay. I'm actually trying to save gas because I'm so damn cheap and I have some sort of thing and save the environment and hug a tree or something, whatever. And then all of a sudden I take my foot off the, uh, off the brake. The car just keeps going. And all of a sudden that traffic hasn't moved. The brakes have to be applied again. And, and, and the cruise control system would want to apply it if it was still on. But because I tapped the brake, it's not on anymore. And now it's all up to me. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... I mean, and, and I have to wait for the automated emergency braking system that does what... I mean, holy hell, that thing tightens this and moves. It moves yeah, something you in never front want of my legs so I don't lose my legs. And it's 1.6 seconds before da -da, and all hell breaks loose. There, there should, why isn't there a, why doesn't the intelligent cruise control go all the way continuously through the automated emergency braking system and in fact not wait for the automated emergency braking system so that it brings you to talk to me here. Damn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to put myself in a position where I'm second guessing yeah. the automotive engineers when they do the uh, system design. <laughs> Yeah, but, no, they have to. You have to be friends with them. I don't. So go ahead. <laughs> but but at the same time, I, I do agree. I I think it, they really have to take into consideration what human behaviors are, what human expectations are, right? So what what we've learned, what what we've been molded to do, just in terms of uh, hitting hit, hitting the brake does this and hitting the gas does this, and what the consequent expectations of uh, those actions are. Um, and and I agree. I mean, I have the exact same confusion, even when I look at it from an academic standpoint by deconstructing an ACC system, I see the various controls that are there and then the brake disengages, sort of makes sense. The gas temporarily disengages, but you release the gas and it re-engages. Yes, that is surprising to me. The problem from a human factors perspective is now we've got to put a Band-Aid on it. We've got to put a Band-Aid on it so that now our drivers know that these two behaviors are different and how do we prepare our drivers to know it and mold the driver so that they can, they can play well with the system? As I said before, the computers should be working for me. I shouldn't be working for the computers. The computers shouldn't be asking me to change, change the, the way I think and so on. It should be taking into account the way I think, what I think, with the, the signals that I'm giving, and not doing the wrong thing. Damn it. Sorry. Whatever. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back with more, but and a lot more. But first, this is a good time to remind you about our sponsor, the Smart ETF, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. To get more info, head to MOTOETF.com. On the website, read the white paper titled The Smart Transportation Revolution. It's under the Insights and News tab. Some great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. ETFs, you probably know, are a good way to spread risk with investments, maybe focus on a particular category of stocks. The site, once again, is MOTOETF.com. Some headlines to touch on uh, this week, Alan. Uh, in the newsletter, you highlight that Australia now has new guidelines for trials of automated vehicles. 
And this is while the outgoing administration here has proposed a rule change that would exempt self-driving cars from crash standards. Steps forward? Yeah, I think they're all steps forwards. I think they're moving forward. And also what Elaine Chow uh, released, uh, they're, they're sort of... Uh, I don't know if she's still there, but <laughs> no, she's not still there, right? She, she, right. of course. I mean, of course, she stepped down last. last I mean, her, her husband is McDonald. I mean, she can't stay in that administration after what happened. I mean, thank goodness. And I, and I do want to do want to say that it has been a good four years for for uh, the federal DOT. She did a great job in the leadership. I think, uh, I think it. Uh, I think some. Uh, progress was made and in fact we could have we could have you know I, I think that the focus being on automation rather than than connectivity is the right focus it, it's it's a how we can get benefits in the short term eventually we can do connectivity but again the problem with connectivity is if I want to communicate with you I have to have it and you have to have it and so therefore it's the probability that I have it times the probability that you have it and probabilities squared are small numbers unless the probabilities are very high. And so that means that you need, you get nothing out of this. You get very little out of this until the penetrations are very large. And so how in the hell do you get started? I mean, the challenge with any technology is getting it started so that it can begin to scale, so it can take advantage of, 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 of size and so on to become better, to become cheaper, to become all that. And man, if you can't get benefits at the very beginning, you need a sugar daddy for a long time and, and boom, it, you know, it is tough. So uh, yeah, anyway, uh, kudos to her, uh, uh, kudos to Diana in the Office of Research and Development and so on. I mean, I, I think they're, they're very good people there and, and, it's, uh, and we, did, we did very well. We did not over-regulate or we've allowed this technology to move. People say it's a little bit, uh, it's a bit, a little bit stagnated. I don't think it's stagnated. I think that, you know, a lot of hype was out there and we didn't have enough I's dotted and T's crossed and we had an opportunity. I think the silver lining in the pandemic is that, is that, uh, is that in fact, it's given us an opportunity to do the things that, that we were trying to do a little bit better without having to, to really um, uh, get out there in the marketplace too early and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and doing it. It's really good that we're not hearing any news out of Chandler and Phoenix uh, from Waymo. Uh, you know, that no news is good news uh, because, uh, you know, the only news that's going to be news is bad news, okay? Right. It means it's working. Yeah, it means it's working. It means, you know, you know, if, if you look at the, the benefits one's trying to do, one's trying to do benefits and safety, you know, the, you know, the deaths per how many million miles or someone you're, you're trying to reduce. And so, you know, these are very safe systems in the beginning. People do tend to behave very well. They do work very well. And we're trying to make, make improvements on a system that already works darn well. So we're not going to see a lot, you know, in the beginning. And, and, and then if you look at the mobility piece, uh, you know, just providing the mobility and getting that darn thing started. I always relate to the to Morgantown personal rapid transit system. My goodness, it, they opened that sucker in, in, in 1975, you know, 46 years ago. It's been, you know, I mean, what, been, there's been a couple broken ankles or something like that, you know, because too many kids tried to stuff it like they stuff 
Volkswagens, you know, there at, at, the, uh, at the University of West Virginia. But most unfortunately, uh, it, 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 it barely got started, but it never scaled, it never expanded, it never went anywhere, it never, you know, uh, whatever the technology and, and developments that were put into doing that, boom, one system, six stations, whatever. You know, and this thing, you know, we're trying to, all the billions that have been invested in, you know, we've got to get the thing started and begin to scale to be able to get the, the quality of life benefits one person at a time and accumulate that. That is a long, slow process that we have to go through. And, and so anyway, uh, long story, but anyway, I think, I think it's, it's been a great four years in transportation uh, through this administration, probably if you're, I'm, I don't know, one view of the whole darn thing, might one might see that that in fact we've gotten uh, the transportation was maybe the best, you know, executive uh, department in, in the in the whole ball of wax. I don't think we can look at education as as having you know made made important strides or even, I mean, maybe energy independence a little bit, environment certainly not. Uh, whatever, pick the other ones. I don't know. You could you could go on for a long time. I think I, on that. I don't know. I, so I think, <laughs> and, and I think I think that's 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 a credit to to Lane Chow, you know, and 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 I think, and, and of course, I'm not a Republican, so whatever. As in case anybody didn't quite know. But well, another uh, another item, and this ties in with what we've been talking about. I think that to some extent, Tesla is saying you're seven times less likely to be in a crash with autopilot. But electric, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, is, they're, they're yeah, saying yeah, the data yeah. is not that clear. Yeah, no, well, no, they say that every time they put out whatever their quarterly report or whatever, and it's so on and so forth. And, and part of the problem is, is, you know, and all these, whenever somebody puts some of these things out there, everybody won't, you know, wants to do it. There should be a fact check. There really should be a fact check. I've offered to do the fact check on these things and independently and whatever, and don't want to be paid for it. Um, uh, unfortunately, Elon has not yet taken me up on it. I, don't take me up on it. Just have somebody else do it. That's not in Tesla. That's not being paid by Tesla. Uh, I, you know, Tesla's system is really, a lot of parts of that is really good. And as we discussed, it's, you know, with respect to monitoring the, the, the driver, absolutely. Darn it. Why don't you just you know, nuzzle up to, to GM and say, hey, you know, help us out here, okay? Why, why don't we work? Why don't we work together on making everybody safer on the road as opposed to competing on it? And we've, we've made this argument in this podcast before, you know, these companies should be cooperating on safety and certainly in the driverless business and certainly in the vehicle automation business and crash avoidance business, they should be cooperating instead of competing. We, we, we can't compete on safety. We should be cooperating on safety. Everybody's improved by improved safety. You have thoughts on that, Anuj? Um, I, I agree about, um, well, I agree with Alan uh, about the companies cooperating on safety and not competing. I think that is absolutely critical. Um, there, there are, there's a lot of innovation going on. There's a lot of innovation going on in Detroit and there's a lot of innovation going on in Silicon Valley. So, you know, the, the new innovation, you can call it that. Um, and, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be at odds or, you know, I, I can understand competition from a manufacturer for 
for, for dollars or for consumers or for drivers, but really everybody benefits. The societal benefit of cooperating for safety is massive. Um, I, I think everybody does see the writing on the wall regarding driver state monitoring, you know, knowing the state of the driver, looking, have a having a camera inside the car. Um, maybe everybody is not as motivated to do it because their focus is on, I don't know, improving the LIDAR or, you know, bringing down the cost of the external sensors and, and so on. Um, but, but yes, it would be great if uh, uh, Tesla took a page out of uh, GM's book and brought in driver state monitoring into, into their mix. Uh, the, the Tesla systems are very impressive, but they are flawed where the interface with the human happens. So therefore the driver's expectations are completely inflated. And we need to be able to figure that out. We need to be able to figure some way to take care of that. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I, I believe that, that in Tesla and the auto steer, um, you know, if you put your hands on the steering wheel, it turns it off or something. I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not sure if that's the situation. That, to me, designing it that way, so we're, you know, drive it going down the, and, and afraid to touch if the human's going to be in the loop in any sense these things need to be more cooperative and so on and basically either you know give give the human because they're the ones that responsibility the ability to override but if the system wants to, but to override you, you have to make a concerted effort uh, the system has to realize that 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 for whatever reason you think you should be in control. However, the human machine interface does that to get that sense. Then yeah, you, you, you bought it, it's yours. You know, you'll go to jail if you kill people and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean, sure, I mean, you know, uh, but, but it should be doing things even if you kind of wanna just go along with it. Okay, it shouldn't all of a sudden stop and say, hey, it's yours, I'm out of here, you know, forget you, I, you know. These are supposed to be helping us, okay? <laughs> anyway. So you, you also point out in the newsletter before we move on that uh, Daniel Ives, an analyst with Wedbush, is saying Tesla could be a $2 trillion company in just a year or two, so... No. They, they've been moving along with their I'm just happy stock. I didn't That's short them at uh, you know, 286, <laughs> okay? I mean, I, you know, I, uh, right. um, uh, you know, any smart investor does the inverse Kornhauser investing theory, you know? <laughs> they wait to see what the hell I do and do the exact opposite. <laughs> they become rich, you know? Intel's Mobileye, in the meantime, is bringing autonomous vehicle test fleets to four more cities this year. And you have something to say about that. They're looking at Detroit, Paris, Shanghai, and Tokyo. I mean, all the places where if you really want to do driverless, that's not where you should be starting. You know, maybe maybe after you've gotten gotten the darn thing to work and, you know, in, in 20 years, you go, you go to, in doing anything, you could either start easy where you can do it and then learn and, and grow it or you could go after, hey, the big enchilada, do that, you know, do do a, a Frank Sinatra, you know, uh, you know, and say, hey, I did New York, I didn't do it anywhere, okay? Um, uh, 
uh, I don't know. I guess I'm I'm one of these you know lame brains that would prefer to start easy and evolve it than than a Frank Sinatra. Uh, you know, they're doing a Frank Sinatra. Great. I, um, whatever. For and in New York, want <laughs> want this? They have a subway. Well, we're going to stay in New York for this next item, Alan. We're going to stay in New York for this next item, really, to yeah. kind, of, kind of wrap things up. And if you look on the mantle behind Alan for our viewers, uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll, you'll know why he included this in the newsletter. Uh, a piece on the new Moynihan train station in New York. Yeah, you know, it's, it, is, it is amazing that the Patrick, Patrick Moynihan was able to, uh, you know, Get the start the federal funding law. Of course, he was chair of the committee and so on, and 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 put up the money to convert the post office to uh, to something like what the grandeur of the of uh, the uh, Pennsylvania station was before. You know, the people thought, "Hey, let's tear this down and and put a basketball arena on top of it, whatever, um, uh, in place of it." And and put the station underground into you know, whatever. And, and it is nice. And, and apparently it's coming in, you know, even though it took 10 years and in budget, I think 1.9 billion or something, maybe 1.4, whatever the number is. And I especially like, um, like uh, the comment and, and comparison with the, the station that was built, uh, the path station was rebuilt at the World Trade Center. And uh, uh, what a waste of public money that was at $4 billion to create a shopping mall. I mean, you know, um, and hopefully the, that's not what's going to happen to this station. And in fact, it is going to be a grand um, transportation hub. And I guess we should build the new tunnels and so on and feed it and, and get service between that and, uh, and allow the, the, the New York, New Haven and so on <coughs> to come from uh, Grand Central to Pennsylvania Station. You know, I mean, there, there's a reason why those stations are separated and not connected. <laughs> they competed. <laughs> they were independent private companies that competed. <laughs> and if you're gonna compete, you're of course not gonna cooperate, I guess, which is not what we should be doing in safety. <laughs> okay. back no, seriously, that. I mean, right. absolutely, absolutely seriously. We should find other ways. Yeah, you know, capitalism's great and competition's great and all the other things, da 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 da, da. intellectual property's great and all that stuff. But the safety piece, if this isn't safe, it's not going to happen. The public sector is going to shut it off. It's not going to let it, I'm not going to let it go down my street here. Okay, the, the, the people aren't going to let it. It's got to be safe. It's got to be safe and safe is tough. You know, Alan, you had one more item in the newsletter. Yeah. I just want to touch on real quick, uh, a report from the LA Times that was headlined, many couldn't afford a car in 2020. The rich went on a buying spree and that certainly drew your attention. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, I mean, I I, I'm, I apologize. How well I did last last year. I shouldn't have done that well. I mean, a number of people, many many people didn't do very well last year. And you know, it's uh, we got to get back. We got to get back. We got we got to get vaccinated. When the hell am I going to get vaccinated? I mean, come on. 
it's coming. That's what I, I guess. <laughs> and, and that, but, not, but not, I mean, that's but, certainly taken a lot longer than uh, I mean, a lot of people what, thought. What are we would. doing for nine months? Why do we have to do things in series that are that are parallelizable? The great thing about computers and software today, what is what is what is why is it so darn good? Is because of the realization that a lot of things can be done in parallel. They don't have to. Uh, uh, they don't have to happen sequentially, and if you can, if you if you can do them in parallel, then you know they're 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 those little things that go. Zzz, there are a bunch of those guys available to go in parallel and make this stuff happen. You know that. Anyway. Well, the fourth annual Princeton Smart Driving Cars Summit is underway. In fact, uh, this past week, uh, this week, we had Anuj as a, as a Very nice panelist. Very nice to have you then, yesterday, yes. And the summit continues each Thursday at noon Eastern through mid-April. You can find more information to register at smartdrivingcar.com. And there you can also get information about becoming a sponsor. We want to thank uh, Anuj for, for joining us today. Really great to, to have you with us. So much uh, terrific information and, and insights. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alan. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was uh, a great conversation. Yeah, I no, it's it. a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and a lot of good content, I, you know, and a lot of good work is, is, is being done. And I'm not, it's we just, I think we just have to do a little bit thinking and every once in a while sort of go back to the kind of the beginning and say, you know, let's, let's make sure that, uh, you know, there's, that we couldn't do a, just a little bit differently here and really make a, a, some more big, big improvements. So great having you enjoyed it to have a great semester. And, Thank you very uh, much. You know, and uh, <sighs> we look to the future. We look to the future. You have a great semester too, uh, come February 1st. Alan, thank you so much, Fred, for organizing. And uh, um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to the rest of the summit. And as always, I look forward to reading your newsletters. Thank you. Always thank great. You. <laughs> well, thank you to our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. More information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker. Amazon Music has us now, too, as does Audible, SoundCloud, and more. You can ask your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for listening or watching, and please stay safe. And have a great weekend and um, see you next Thursday at the next summit session. <laughs>